0: What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 399. Mm, mm, Uh, mm, 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 mm. I'm Steve. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show. And as always, I'm joined by... Rob. And John. How are you guys doing? New year. You guys look the same. uh, Which is a a compliment. Thanks.
1: Uh,
0: And if you want to see what I'm talking about, go over to the YouTube if you're listening to this on your podcast. Yeah, right youtube.com slash movie for me podcast uh but yeah good to see you guys and uh take a look at
2: us (laughs) you know just get a good look at us a long look and take a long last look at my little uh baby christmas tree that's that's been in the background for the last few last few episodes uh it's about to go back into uh you know a a tote of some sort and into a storage area
1: People are done with Christmas talks. It's crazy. You bring up Christmas. Oh, shut up. I don't want to hear anything. It's already. <laughs> well, it's just,
2: I think, I you know, we leave ours up into the
0: new year, which a lot of people don't even okay. do that. That's cool. But, but yeah. Yeah, we can still have ours up too. Same. Although my son's on his way of uh, d- d- dismantling it slowly, <laughs> but surely. I'm like, we got to get this down before it's damaged. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's now it's now become a toy or an activity for him. Right, right. <laughs> um right. Yeah, good to see you guys. So, yeah, this episode, uh, we're going to get into John's pick of uh, required viewing from two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Uh it was 1974's Phantom of the Paradise.
2: I actually I actually um,
0: suggested that pick in 1974. It was that one. <laughs> there long you ago. go. <laughs> it's been that long, guys. The last time heard uh, it. Yeah, And then Ronald will surprise us all with his next pick for required viewing. Mm-hmm. And then I think the, the the main part of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, True Detective, the new season uh, coming out on Max. Go, I guess HBO and Max? Is it Max? I don't know. I, I, I'm always so confused now how that's going now. Like, is it on HBO and then Max? Or right, Max right, right. and airing on Sundays on HBO? I don't know. It's right. on one of the two. If you have Max, I think you're covered. Um, but uh, yeah, the new season, season four of True Detective, uh, which starts uh, this coming Sunday. We've been fortunate enough to get a look at the the new season, uh, thankfully, after going through multiple security checks and loops and backbends. And, a lot. But um, spoiler alert, I think it's worth it. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but And then we'll go through some other stuff that we've just seen over the past weeks um, and... Uh, That'll be an episode, guys. John, let's let's go. Required viewing. Tell us about tell us about this pick again and then uh, and then we'll get into talking about it.
2: All right. Well, I mean, I I would describe this if you were gonna look at this movie and say, what is it? It's sort of a collaboration between songwriter Paul Williams and uh, director Brian De Palma. I, I thought of it as an early film of De Palma's, but it's like his seventh or eighth movie. Um so he had been, you know, busy for a while and had developed a lot of his techniques already by the time he did this movie, like the split screen that pops up in places like that. That's kind of a De Palma thing. Um and this actually follows a movie called Sisters. Have you seen that? either of you, Mm -mm. with Margot Kidder, it might be a good uh, future-required viewing. But anyway, so, I mean, De Palma was already this guy who had sort of a a developed style. I didn't quite realize how long he had been working and how busy he had been by 1974 until I kind of researched this movie. Um, But he had the idea for this movie back in 1969. Uh, And then, of course, like in 1970, 71 is when Greece comes along, I believe. And then if uh, uh, 73... is when they started making um, uh, Rocky Horror. So I'm just saying around this time, there was clearly an idea about like rock and roll musicals. And uh, I only mentioned Greece because this movie kind of mentions the sort of doo-wop revival that in the 70s must have seemed kind of as silly as sometimes when you've been able to witness that, when, when a musical style gets revived kind of on your watch, it's always funny when it's only 20 years old and it's coming back. Well, you guys might be too young to realize that in the early half of the 70s, we were fully into the music of the 50s. Like, that was a huge thing oh, wow. all over the radio. So this movie kind of starts off with that. Anyway, I just mentioned that it's it's part of this little soup of attempts to kind of do like a rock musical and to... Um, maybe comment on the form of the musical a little bit, do something that's a little bit self-consciously corny, but lean into uh, maybe a more modern style of music. Um, there's still a camp factor, clearly, in this movie. It's going for a certain level of comedy, as well as um, trying to make the music interesting. And it's an interesting thing is, I think it was when he was actually meeting at a label, he was at AM and m Records, um, and he was leaving a meeting and he walked out as Paul Williams was walking in, or vice versa, one of them was walking one way, and the other one was walking the other. And Paul Williams, who was a songwriter at that point, uh, best known for writing what he called codependent anthems, <laughs> like um, songs for um, uh, the Carpenters, like "We've Only Just Begun" and uh, "Rainy Days and Mondays." And um, also, he wrote the song, or co-wrote the song "Rainbow Connection" for the the Muppets. You know, so he was a guy who wrote these kind of pretty mid-tempo songs, and that was what he was known for. And right. he met Brian De Palma, and Brian De Palma thought he had the musical talent maybe to do the different styles that were required for this movie. But he also had another idea, which was that Paul Williams, he thought, had the, the physicality to play the character Swan. And Paul Williams wasn't interested, really, in being an actor. So it's an right. interesting thing. It's like how he ended up being the one of the lead characters in this film and writing the music for it is kind of uh, just because Brian De Palma had that little eye that a director sometimes has for... Uh, someone they want to put in their movie and then we have this movie that is a faustian bargain kind of movie it's it's a it's a um i mean it's it's got one of those plot descriptions that is is pretty insane because the character of Swan isn't even really the character that you're following at the beginning. But Paul Williams plays a sort of uh, satanic figure who's there to influence this, uh, naive young, uh, songwriter, um, played by, uh, William Finley, who, whose music gets stolen by Swan. And then, and then there's, it's all, then it wraps into kind of a Phantom of the Opera thing because, uh, the young songwriter gets, uh, uh, horribly injured in a, in a record pressing plant. <laughs> yeah. And so, such a way that deforms his face. And then he kind of haunts the theater um, where they're putting on these performances. Uh, uh you know as a phantom of the opera-like figure but it doesn't really stop there it, you know swan tries to keep him prisoner in a little chamber that's there was actually a real synthesizer they actually shot that in a in a real working synthesizer uh, space but like although oh. you know, there, there's there was all this cool stuff that i thought was an interesting just showing the musical gear of the age I'm always kind of into that i do think there was a little bit of a wink wink there was some knowing stuff about the music biz in this movie that i thought was uh, kind of fun and then I also think this movie goes in that way that whenever they make movies movies about music they always go in a direction that's like this is the way movie makers think that musicians work or the the music biz works so it has a i mean again like i said it's very campy very satirical very over the top like a lot of movies of the 60s and this movie i guess it's a hangover into the 70s you end with like a crazy riotous scene at a at a show and it's just you know uh, 50 people on stage, lots of people running around. Um, I don't know, a very chaotic movie, but I also think, I can kind of see why this movie has a lot of life uh, in the present day as a midnight movie. Um... So um, yeah, it was my first time seeing it. So I had this huge thing of just like, okay, I'm glad I finally saw Phantom of the Paradise and then I still am kind of kind of processing like whether I would watch it again, I don't know. Um, yeah. but I might show it to somebody or I might recommend it to somebody if they're curious about you know this 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 type of chaotic movie that again, it's Brian De Palma when he was already, I think he was in his 30s at this point and a very mature filmmaker in a lot of ways, making a movie about youth culture that really does sort of take a piss on youth culture. and I think mm. that's where the movie kind of of succeeds and fails in a way is that it does seem like it's trying to make such a negative comment about the music culture. I don't think it quite nails the appeal of the sort of musicians that it's trying to uh, talk about, but I also think it has a lot of fun trying to, trying to take it all in and trying to suggest like this whole idea that children are so into spectacle that no matter how horrible the spectacle, they'll just want more of it. You know, what did you guys think of Phantom of the Paradise? And also what's your history with De Palma and you know, did, did you, did you have this on your radar as a De Palma film, Steve?
0: Uh, not on my radar at all. And I don't know. I, I mean, to be honest, I don't know that I would have watched it, uh, outside of the required viewing. Um, but I feel like, uh, in general though, a, a lot of the diploma the poem of stuff, I, I really enjoy, especially I feel like i mentioned on the podcast, there was like a period where like I went through an effort to like watch all of the films of like the directors I should know, you right. know, when I was like a teenager and going into like end of high school, early college, Um, And he was always one that came up for, you know, movies that most people maybe associate him with. But kind of going back and finding movies uh, that he was associated with, like, I mean, mainly the one that always kind of that kicked it off was like uh, was Blowout. Um, And then, you know, Finding Dress to Kill and, you know, I don't know, Body Double. I think we've talked about that on the podcast before. Um, But overall, like, I'm a fan. Um, Carrie, obviously, Scarface. But this film... I don't think I would have. I, I know I'd heard the name, so when you mentioned it, it sounded familiar to me. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I feel like. I, I it, it it. I don't think anything about it would have probably intrigued me to watch it on my own. To be to be honest, like I think all that. Like I enjoy the campiness and even the satire, but I don't know that I really enjoyed uh, this one too much. Mm-hmm. Um, like I feel like as someone who does not do and has never done drugs, I feel like I probably should have. i watched this because i feel like it would have probably been a a better experience because i mean i just feel like for the for the time and you know the look and the music and the you know uh costume design and just like everything about it is so dialed up um and it's kind of and it's so chaotic too um that i had trouble kind of really kind of settling in and uh i don't know just kind of going along with the movie uh but i don't know this wasn't this was a it's kind of like a okay for me Mm -hmm. uh if i had watched this there would be nothing about it maybe except for some of the filmmaking you know those those trademarks that would i would have known it was a brian de palma film you know like i feel like it does it doesn't stand out as that to me uh but some of those filmmaking things that you mentioned before like you know you can definitely associate them with him but um this was made you know before a lot of the ones that I kind of went back and found more the like the early 80s stuff, <clears throat> excuse me. So I don't even know that I would have tracked this one down. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it's like one of those things. It's like a good it's like a good experience just to kind of see a different kind of movie that I would normally watch, um, especially from a, you know, kind of a renowned filmmaker like him. But um, yeah, I don't know. This one went really, well, really wasn't
2: for me. It's definitely messy. And I think that like, well, you're talking about like that precision we associate with the sort of Hitchcockian style of De Palma. Yeah, you definitely don't get the sense that this one was like very carefully mapped out at at all. And you almost sense like a lot of movies of this era, like they try to make them in the editing room, don't they, Ronald? (laughs) Like, they see what they get and then they put it together, you know? Yeah. Uh,
1: So I started off being kind of like, extremely turned off by like the, the close shot of the guy narrating the story that's going on and not really know what's going on. But there was an agreement I made with myself. I was just like, I'm going to get on this train and see where it takes me. <laughs> and I think I'm going to buy it. I think I'm going to buy it. I think I'm going to purchase it with mm-hmm, my wow. money. I, th- I think because there's a couple of movies that I've watched in my life that just kind of, messed with me like I, the way I felt when I saw Suspiria like the first time I saw Suspiria and mm-hmm. I said like, what am I looking at why is the soundtrack so crazy why are they just notes why does it feel like somebody fell asleep on the keyboard and just got kind of stayed there <laughs> and then somebody <laughs> called oh, uh, but yeah it was I felt like that when I was watching this movie like for some reason it hit me it like you know I think and maybe this is just because I'm starting to make stuff Somebody going and and trying to make this feels like a small miracle. I don't know how Brian De Palma with his catalog went to a studio and was like, "Have you seen Rocky Horror Picture Show? I want to make something like that." Except the songs aren't going to be quite as good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's well, like- they're not as
2: they're not as like the songs feel like. 70s radio rock mm-hmm. songs, which don't really, like a couple of them kind of stood out to me while we were listening. But I think that like, I don't want to, I want you to finish your thought because I want to get it at one, one of the aspects of the songs that I do think oh. is kind of funny, but I don't mm-hmm. think it was intentionally funny, but finish yeah. what you were saying.
1: <laughs> but yeah, like not quite as, but it almost felt like a crazier idea. Like, it, like you know, just the idea, of, this guy's idea of suicide was, just stabbing himself as hard as he could but not in his heart exactly like just it just has like a a tone to it that is so fucking funny you're but, talking
2: about swan when he's yeah, doing when,
1: the deal uh or wait when he when the um when the guy's on the roof and he sees him having sex with the woman he's in love with who is from suspiria by the way crazy. oh right
2: right right yes and
1: he's like oh man she's and then he takes the knife out and it's like i'm gonna commit kind of suicide and he just goes, ha, <laughs> yeah,
2: and then he falls down. And Winslow then- Leach is the name of that character. I've been trying, okay, to, trying to remember his name. Yeah, so Swan was the was the kind of satanic character. Yeah. but Then yeah, Swan
1: yeah. takes the knife. I was like, nope, you're still going to work for me. It's right. just like, yeah, it definitely feels like an on-and-nose critique of the industry. And I really liked it. I, something about it was jarring and weird. And I think, you know, but I got like a thing up for Really over the top stuff on occasion. Like I really liked it. Like his whole catalog just kind of had like this. Some of them had like over the top performances. Like yeah. you know, obviously Scarface is not really like a. But yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I liked the way that it felt. I love. He was really scary to me. The guy was really scary to me. And the the kind of angles that they kept shooting, that were like above him and kind of oh, yeah, it's just. It's a strange movie. Well, it that like
2: actor a- had a big eye because he, it looked huge in that mask. Yeah. And if you look yes. at him in his like glasses, uh, William Finley's the actor's name. He does have sort of big eyes, but that eye in the mask looked insanely huge. You now, I was thinking, like, you can see that like you can see why you would get cast as a role like that when you're yeah. going to be doing a lot of mask acting. Um I guess I kind of wanted to see a little bit more of what he actually looked like. I felt like they only fleetingly gave it to us and when yeah. they finally did, it didn't seem like the lighting was really right for the makeup or something. <laughs> but um I couldn't decide was that supposed to be like a hole in his face or was that like where vinyl had gotten into his face because I kind of wondered if his face was going to be like flesh mixed with record, you know, like yeah, but it wasn't was really quite cool. it wasn't quite that. It was more like he just got burned and and yeah, uh, you know. Messed up by the uh, the record press. Supposedly they shot that in a real record press, and the actor was sort of afraid to do the the bit. He was like, "Is this really safe wow. for me to even pretend this is happening?" Um, one of the things we so the music in the movie. I do think one of the, my favorite things about the music, if not my favorite thing, um, was just I loved the guys in the band that kept getting recast as the new version of the band. Like at the beginning, they're the <laughs> yeah. Juicy Fruits and they're totally doing the kind of Grease-style revival doo-wop song. And then in the middle, they're the Beach Bums and they're doing like a Beach Boys type song. Um, and then it's, on a, it's unclear when that bomb in the car goes off if anyone actually gets hurt. I guess we didn't really see because the, the, the guys are back later as the undead yeah. wearing like goth makeup. And I thought that was actually pretty funny, the sort of repackaging of these same musicians, you know, under whatever the hot genre was. That was a pretty, that was one of the sort of satirical yeah, elements that worked the other thing was that main actor Archie Hahn, I think is his name the guy who was the singer for the Juicy Fruits that's just a character actor I've seen in so many things and it was wild to see him in sort of a young role like this and then to look into him and realize he was a guy who had done improvisational comedy and music and hmm. Paul Williams was the one who suggested bringing in one group of guys to be all the different bands you know oh, um, cool. which to me seems like one of the clever stabs of the movie but yeah I, I want to just point out a couple little things I really like the sort of producer gone mad character um of of swan i mean i thought that that was that's a creepy setup for a villain a guy who's like trying to manipulate people, but into making hits, into making (laughs) hit songs, Um, but he's doing it in a very evil way. And he had that one line where he said, "'You know how I abhor perfection in anyone but myself.'" I just thought that was a kind of on the nose, but kind of funny thing for him to say. And and then I'll say my least favorite thing about the music was, um, I think Jessica Harper, is that the name of the actress um, that plays uh, Phoenix? Uh, Yeah, Jessica Harper, who was in um, the one in Suspiria, I believe. Yeah. I think she's got a okay voice, a decent voice. Yeah. But her dance moves uh in those scenes where she's supposed to be wowing everybody, they should have just had her standing still. We had just <laughs> yeah. recently watched the Seinfeld where Elaine's dance is like uh, is referred to as like a uh, a full body dry heave. Um and I got to <laughs> say that Jessica Harper's dance wasn't much better than that. And I, and, and what's weird about it is it's like she seems young. She seems like she was the right age to dance however people were dancing in the 70s. But the way she danced was as though it was like, oh, here's a person from the theater who's been asked to dance like a rock musician. And she just didn't quite get it. And it was, get she was it. kind of yeah. galloping down. It made those scenes so awkward. And if there was anything, Steve, that made me think like, I, I can't watch this. It was just how long those scenes of her, her... Music was because we were supposed to be wowed by, or at least we were supposed to be watching people being wowed by her. Um, And, you know, again, she had a decent voice. She's very pretty. She's a decent actress. I mean, I thought she was fine in the role. It's just, I understand why they would put someone like that in that role. It's just funny that they didn't quite have the sense to say, like, maybe let's not linger on how awkward of a performer she is when it's supposed to be like, everyone's going, holy shit. Um, Anyway. Check her out. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else worth mentioning that I had down. Does anybody else have any kind of notes about this? I had one kind of general question for you guys, if you don't have any other thoughts about this movie. Oh. Um. Well, what movie do you think does capture music? Uh, or the making music, or the we, we we all three have been involved in making music. I mean, do you have a favorite movie that does speak to you? Because I do think, like I said, this movie did. Even though it was kind of silly, there was a scene where Swan is producing a session, trying to modulate the voice that's been damaged uh, of uh, Winslow Leach, and he's saying like filters. You know, he's just saying stuff in the studio. But they did kind of get a little bit into production in the in the movie, and I was like, that was one more thing that felt like oh, they, you know, there was a little bit of. uh uh, you know, real stuff or just kind of that felt real uh, as far as the details of that. But this movie, you know, I think doesn't really capture what I know of music. I didn't know if you guys had a movie that you think of as like, that's that's my musical experience or that rings true to me.
1: Yeah. <clears throat>
2: mm. Hustle and think... flow for me. Yeah.
1: That's that small, one. hot room where you're ch- you just banging on a keyboard to like, whoop, that trick. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's what, that's, you know, I'm not making typically only really mess with keyboards so when you're in a room you know making electronic stuff and and then you know you just kind of shouting things at each other it really feels like that scene like that scene where he really starts to Make a song. You you have the melody first. Then you start adding the drums. It really is like a buildup. Mm-hmm. Lil Wayne has a song called "Let the Beat Build," where he's the beats literally being built around his vocals. Mm-hmm. It feels like that. It really feels like you know when you make it something that's solely electronic, there is a level of like, yeah. you know, you you're yelling a lot. You just like, oh, what? I don't. Know. Then you're trying to fill it in with. Bullshit and then you just kind of build it. It's weird to watch. Well, it's, especially it's you're right that when really you're in the room it.
2: while some while it's happening, and, and yeah. especially when it's like it's usually one person doing it while other yes. people are going, Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. like,
1: whoa, 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 at that part, short. yeah that's that's it's really yeah. fun when so my cousin is really good at like shortening lines because I'll say so, too much, and he's like, Hey, why don't you take out the man out of it? And I'm like, Oh, I could skip the man and just say so yeah. Yeah. Hustle and flow.
2: You know what I call that? I call that all my lyrics have to go through it because you write them down Mm. and inevitably you write them down in some way that they're kind of goofy, but I call Mm. it phrasing boot camp where it's like, oh. you have to get the phrasing right, because you got yes. to figure out where those syllables are going to fall. And sometimes yes. you write a sentence that fits. And you're like, no, if I have to say all that, then I sound like I'm trying to fit a lot in, or I sound like I'm trying to stretch something out. And you find out like, wait, how do things fall so that it's like, because to me, that's half of the, like, lyrics are important. Yeah. But the phrasing of the lyrics almost matters as much, you know, like how they, how they yeah. fit with the music. And are they fun to sing? Yeah. <laughs> Can someone hear it and latch on to what you're doing and, and find it fun?
1: You know it's a fun song to hear, even though it's really somber, and I could argue is almost a perfect song. It's very strange. The national anthem? <laughs> no, and it's this. It's a this year or last year song. What am I made for? By Billie Eilish. Mm. Jesus Christ! It's any genre could sing it. It sounds like a. It could be a country song. It could be like a. A French touch song, like you can hear it definitely wah, wah, wah. Anyway, it's any genre of a. I I I, I yeah. submit that it's one of the better songs in the past twenty years. It's a weird thing. Wow. It's it's really good, man. Uh, no, I think I, you're right I, that it's I've, it's I've got really a strong melody. Yeah, yeah.
2: and yeah. it's like and it sounds good with like simple instrumentation and just a yeah. voice. You know, yeah, um, you can
1: sing that acoustic, John. You could be like
2: playing. a that would
1: sound incredible. Well, I
0: mean that that's the that's the mark of just a great it's the air. song it's kind of genreless, you know yeah um what I, was you, mention, yeah, yeah. I was gonna mention yeah was the first one that comes to mind is only because i love the movie like just enjoy watching it is that thing you do mm. um but i feel like for a specific session of a musical genius who is one of my idols i feel like love and mercy uh with the pet sound sessions with brian wilson is uh Ah yes, uh, that that's that specific part of that movie, which I I think that movie is one of the best biopics musical things ever. What's the What's the um, name of it? Love and Mercy. It's like the two okay. decade. It's like Paul Dano as yeah. We Brian talked Wilson about. It. I in think this you st- saw it, Ron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A while back, right? Yeah. Like then, I, I yeah. remember it's just... and then John Cusack is him in the eighties, like after he's kind of had the the mental issues. Okay, but yeah, it, it, in in the in the sixties period when he's going through the Pet Sound sessions, I mean just for realizing as a fan of the music, like watching them kind of try to depict that in a movie is just exciting, yeah. but also just like in terms of, you know, my experience is nothing, obviously even scratching that <laughs> surface, but like, you know, being in a studio, you know, and like being able to just explore the way that like a musical genius, like he would and did, you know, when you listen to those songs, um, you know, you, you, when you listen to the songs, you feel something. And when you see him in that film, putting the songs together, I feel like I feel a different thing Mm -hmm. that is just like only uh, a complimentary to the joy I get in listening to his music. And I feel like that specific scene in that movie, it feels like one of the more accurate and raw and like, just honestly, I'm not to use the word chaotic again, but like, how chaotic production can be mm-hmm. um, when it's going great and when it's not going so great. But yeah, I, I love that movie so much. Um, but that that area or that, that section of the film when he's doing that stuff is just phenomenal, I think. Uh,
2: those are good picks. I think that thing you do has that spot in all of our hearts because of the scene where they're he- they hear themselves on the radio and they all kind of converge. Time, yeah. Like that's that, whether you have that moment or not, you have some yeah. version of that, some version yeah. of they're playing my song and you're like, oh yep. shit, I'm real. <laughs> it's like <laughs> when, uh, it's like in The Jerk yeah. when he's excited to be in the phone book, you know, it's like. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, for me, there's the one of the movies that I thought of it's a weird movie, but just the way the band uh, interacts when they're kind of working in a studio setting—I thought the movie Frank that, that with oh, yeah. uh, oh Frank was so good ha- had sort of an interesting look at a band in dissolution. But the idea of getting together yeah. out in a certain location to record and how that can kind of become this its own world. Um, but the movie that first—that's like my top that I that I that I thought of when I thought of the, asking you guys this question is Inside Lou and Davis. There's just something about mm. the way that. He's processing his life through his music, but not in a direct way that could be seen as like maudlin and like the way that his his life and his music are intertwined, but maybe not always an easy fit. And the way that like being pretty darn good at something doesn't mean you're great at something. Um, And it's such a, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are pretty darn good and uh that to me feels like such an in- interesting thing to study it is like rid- we're literally watching the guy who's like the one of the best guys in the room, right when Dylan hits the scene, you know, yeah. and 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 we know that's the person who's kind of hitting the scene, like at the very in the very yeah. kind of in the background as this thing ends, and so it's sort of like, you know, what if you were pretty darn good, and then, then you've you know you've you've been on a bill with other comedians, Ronald? I'm sure you've been the winner and the loser of that comparison. We we all I've been definitely my yes. band has been the the hero of the bill, and we've been the the you know the losers of the bill before. For sure. So I don't know. Yes. I think that's an interesting notion, and I think the way that he kind of lives through his music, and yet. He, he his music kind of gives him such pain and maybe doesn't bring him a lot of comfort sometimes, but he clearly needs it. And I don't know. To me, that just has always been, you know, maybe in, in a, a little bit of a downer sense, but not totally downer because he, he, Oscar Isaac really does sing and play beautifully in that movie. So you are able to enjoy his music even as you're kind of scratching your head about the the fact that he doesn't seem to be able to crack the the consciousness. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway uh what what is our oh i you know i'll say one other movie that's actually a good pick because it brings us back around to phantom of the paradise uh the first 15 minutes of ishtar uh where dustin hoffman and warren Beatty are like uh, these guys who write these silly little songs and play in you know these really you know humble settings those songs are actually written by paul williams um so somewhere there's huh. a demo tape of him doing all those songs i would love to get my hands on that um but uh, yeah, that's another one that's both funny and it has it has memorable music in it. But the rest of the movie doesn't really have much to say about the music making music. Mm. So what's our next pick, Ronald? Take us into uh, we're fully in 2024 sure. now. Uh, what's our what's our first real pick of
1: 2024? 2023's mayhem with mayhem. exclamation. Mark. It's a French. Uh, I'm a pretty simple guy. I, I like to watch real good action movies. I don't like to watch imitations of good uh action movies. I like to watch actual good action movies. What's an imitation? So,
2: what what do you when you say that? What, what like, do you like everything that
1: comes after John Wick. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, all the
2: John Wick Yeah, all the wannabes. John
1: Wick. Yeah, but I'm like I'm like with I, I I'm pretty into I was pretty into the thing that led to the and uh so it's uh, a French gentleman who is a convict uh, gets caught up in some street action. And it's it's a lot of hand-to-hand. It is brand new. Studio Canal is uh, distributing it. So it's not on any services yet besides renting um, because it's so new and it's so limited um, since Studio Canal's is uh, distributing it. Hopefully that means that they're going to release a physical of it at some point too. Um, but yeah, 2023's Mayhem! Because it has the exclamation point on it. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a it's on a, all the services where you can rent voodoo, Apple TV, uh, you know, all the services, Google music, uh Google Music or movies, whatever they call it now. Um, but yeah, mayhem. It's also known as Farang in 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 uh France. Um, but it's it is subtitles, uh Fair Warning you will be dealing with a little, but it's a, you know, it's like an action movie. It's like, Hey, you owe me money. Punk. It's not, it's not going to be anything like (laughs) rebel moon level complicated, (laughs) Um, but yeah,
2: mayhem. I'm trying to parse what you just said. What do you mean? There won't be anything rebel moon level complicated. Like, like what, for subtitles. Oh, like, subtitles. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I said for subtitles. of one. All right, be all right. Rebel I guess Mo- I
2: didn't notice the, but I, I must not have just retained that aspect of Rebel Moon.
1: Yeah, I just, I did, I didn't. It's like, oh, this person stole this resource from this. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, just
2: <laughs> what am I watching? Oh, you this... mean more? You mean more? Just like the, the exposition itself, rather than yeah, just the subtitles. Yeah, yeah, right. No, so I know like, what you're saying.
1: Let's... Just sometimes, just sometimes, you know, on top of just sound being hard to listen to, just like mixes of sound yeah sometimes you just need subtitles to hear all the like exposition (laughs) that's like a paragraph and and as i'm reading the beginning i've cut i've cut that movie off five times i haven't been able to watch it Mm. because it's so much explaining and i and, and i need to like devote some time to my well, that's
0: feelings why he, about that, that's why he had to have a part one. That's just for the <laughs> My feelings about that movie are are are, f- are
2: further hindered by the fact that the afternoon that I watched it, <laughs> I was in the middle of forgetting an important obligation and missing something that I was supposed to be there for, and then having the horrible realization as the credits were rolling oh, man. that I was like officially like five minutes too late to try to rush to the thing. Do you know what Uh, I mean? And so I I not only had that horrible feeling of having missed something, but of what I had just done was sit there for two and a half hours and watch Rebel Moon Part (laughs) One.
1: In like real life. People say it's like a waste of time literally, for real. No,
2: literally I hurt my whole yeah. I hurt myself. Like and, <laughs> and then and then I had to wait. This is the funny thing. You've ever, you ever missed something and then it's like it's not really the thing you're missing isn't going to be over for an hour or something. Yeah. And so you're going to feel bad. Once it's actually over, then you're like, "Well, there's no way I could be there now."
0: Yeah, yeah, But
2: the whole time that you're actually in the act of missing it, you feel bad. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Where it's like, you're like, oh, I, technically I could still, maybe I could teleport there and actually yeah. show
1: up, you know? when anyway. I, That movie screening, when that yeah. happened, when I was all the oh, way, right. it felt really sad to be like, it's 8 o'clock right now, I'm missing this. Yeah, felt like but, that, man. But at
2: least that wasn't you. At least that wasn't like you yeah, sitting yeah. there watching Rebel Moon instead of like looking at your calendar for the week and getting things settled. Um, <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> yeah. i'll blame zach snyder for that forever damn it there okay um, um so yes mayhem's our next pick okay. well, steve take us into true de- you- to take us into <laughs> night country we're all in night country now
0: night country uh yeah this is the fourth season of true detective coming back uh, after I went to season three, that's the one with, uh, what that Mahershala was in. It's Mahershala with, right? with, with Ali and Dorf, the team. And Dorf, of, right, yeah. right, right. And I
2: like season oh, three a lot. I think it's kind of. Ali
0: and Dorf. Yeah. People
2: seem to have slept on it, but I thought it was actually a, a huge improvement on season two.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, I have the same memory of it. I, I, I like to re- go back and revisit it. I just feel Fair. like. I even feel like I liked season two more than most people did. Mm-hmm. Probably mostly because of the cast. I don't think the story was as strong, but, um, you know, it's been one of those shows for HBO that's kind of like, you know, it's like it came out with a bang. And, you know, season one, I think, is arguably like some of the best television probably ever made, yeah. in my opinion. And kind of genre um,
2: defining in a weird way. I think you could, so. You
0: could unpack for a while if you wanted to. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And it's got like, you know, that 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 one sequence, the oneer that's like legendary and, you know. Kerry Fukunaga kind of coming on the scene and the reconnaissance the and all, all everything about that first season was just like yeah. a special thing. So, I mean, I feel like the seasons that kind of follow it kind of live in that shadow or try to live up to that. But I don't, I, you know, I don't, to some degree, neither of the seasons have that followed. But I mean, yeah, it, after some time, uh, yeah, they announced the season four and they, you know, announced Isa Lopez is kind of going to be involved with writing and directing. All six of the episodes, which is which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and I mean my only ex- my only exposure to her was was really um Tigers Are Afraid, which kind of came out what was that, 2017? Yeah. Feels like not that long ago, but yeah, like seven years ago. Um, and kind of was like a big hit and kind of festival kind of film that I think put her name on the map, which I you know, I I do really enjoy that film. But I mean I recognized her name as being involved. I think Barry Jenkins came on as a producer for this season as well, um, but I mean, really, the thing for me, and I think I kind of touched on this a little bit when we were talking about um, the the recent next Netflix film, Niaid. But like when when they announced that Jodie Foster was going to be in the season, I think that was like the big hook for me. And just recency, we had watched the uh, uh, what was that at Sun? I think it was when we had access to Sundance. We had seen that one movie with Kaylee in it. You know what I'm talking about, Ronald? Yes. What What is it called? I was Uh, gonna just look it up. Like, I should have done this beforehand, but yeah, I mean, like her name, having not seen her, really mentioned that much since that that Sundance movie that we uh, watched. Catch the fair one. Catch the fair one. Yeah. So. Yeah, Kaylee like she was in this film at Sundance, catch the real one that um, I think all of us that that saw it really thought was great. And she was very special in it. So not seeing her in a lot since then, I mean, like her being associated with the new season of True Detective was also really exciting. Um, And, you know, seeing names like John Hawks and um, it just was like, yeah, okay, this sounds, this sounds great. Um, The idea of it taking place in Alaska during uh you know the the what is that called like the the solstice or like the 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 30 days of night time or whatever it's called yeah. um also it just sounds like a great setup for something bad to go down in right um uh, you know and just like cold snow dark it just like this sounds perfect and something different for true detective that really they haven't done cuz you know the other seasons have really taken place in like kind of settings that have felt very hot and humid and sweaty and dirty and like, you know, a, a whole different vibe to it. Um, so a, a change like that seemed exciting. And again, Issa, her involvement, you know, coming from m- m- more of a horror kind of thriller supernatural vibe, I think that would, would would bring a lot to a new season of True Detective. So, yeah, I don't know, going into it just with that information was was really exciting. And, you know, the idea that it's still going to be based around this mystery um, and some sort of, like, thriller, supernatural element to it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This has, like, been one I've been excited for for a while. And, you know, the trailers for it look great. Um, then Them kind of pushing it back a bit into the new year um, was an interesting decision, I guess, to maybe put some space between uh, some other things that were ending towards the end of the year and maybe just for Warner Discovery, HBO, Max, whatever, to have, you know, more of, like, their tentpole series spaced out a little more. Um so I think it's gonna prove to be a, a really good decision because I mean, um, you know, there really isn't a ton of like must see or appointment viewing right now. Right. Um, you know, and for me, this is kind of a show that could fill that slot. Uh no question. I mean, before even watching it, it would be that, you know what I mean? But being able to watch some of this um and and talk about some of it today, um, you know, the one that's gonna be airing this weekend, the, the season premiere is 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 amazing to talk about uh, because it is something that I've been really excited for where, where are you guys on? I mean, I think we all agree the first season is pretty special, but where are you guys on, on true detective just as a show in general, not, not even just from season to season. Um, I, I, I love
1: true detective for season one was really great. Um, I have a hard time taking in murder stuff. I just, maybe because murder stuff is just hard to process, you know, um, you know, just with trauma and shit. Yeah. But if I were to watch something with murderers, it would be true detective. It's just it <laughs> just just well-told stories, human stories. I think what I love about true detective is at the heart of it, it's just human stories. You know, it's just like these very lived in sort of stories. Whenever I watch it, I feel like I'm with, I'm in whatever room they're in. It's like atmosphere, it's filmed very well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was pretty high on it. This did something for me that the that the first season didn't even do for me. And there's something about. Women telling stories, uh, the way women's experiences are very different in the world, you know, that right. felt different. You know, it not not because I'm watching, you know, whenever I'm watching something with it where a dude writes it, you're like, okay, this is how a dude deals with, this is how I would deal with this stuff. Of course I kick in the door. Of course I but watching this story, you know, with with this sort of perspective makes the story different for me. I'm I'm in another right. I'm in another world. I also don't know the the connections to the, you know, the tribe and the town. And I've never had that sort of dynamic you know, in, in a right. small town setting, especially with the tribe and the the history of race relations when it comes to that. So this brought something to the table. I mean, I've seen versions of this where I didn't take that the care that it should have for these this dynamic. I've seen other things, but this is so good. It's so grounded. Um, you feel every murder. And, and when you see what the, you know, I we're just talking about the first episode. When you see the scene of what what is being truly <laughs> when you see it, it's like this is this is yeah. Hannibal like the shit. This is like Hannibal, the TV show. I, I'm thinking more of the TV show than the, the movie. Yeah, my really, first
0: feeling when, when I mean not to get in that episode yet, but sure, I mean sure, it, what you're sure. alluding to, because it's important in, like for the whole season. Yeah. Like the, the the discovery, it like, yeah, it's very it's it's a wild. It's uh, so good, visual. Yes, I'll say that.
1: Uh, And one thing I will say that I mean for anybody, this doesn't. I hope this doesn't spoil anything. It gets to the mysticism that didn't exist in the second season, really. That really kind of existed. I don't know. There's something. There's like this, like other element that exists in the in the equation sometimes mm-hmm. in the true detective stories that I really enjoyed. It felt like it kind I hadn't is had what a lot of what made
2: it special. I mean, the first season yes. having little hints of something supernatural around the edges made it special and then the second season had the vaguest hints of something lurking but 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 not not anywhere near what the first season had the third season brought back a little bit of that by saying by hinting that it was taking place in the same world as the first season like it it said there was a line or two that that put it in the same universe as the first season but yeah you're right i think that that this season i think this season leans like way like first episode yeah. leans yeah. very hard into For, some of those again. mystical elements in a way that you're right yeah. is more direct and more almost more almost of a this well yeah I, i'll let you finish your thoughts before i get into mine <laughs> yeah
1: so so yeah i i just really like that perspective it just it hit me a lot harder than the first season hit me and the first season hit me really hard i thought it was great i thought the performances were great but this is again i do not always like watching worlds that i'm not that i know already or at least i've seen a lot this is just presented, all the pieces were new for me. All the pieces, you know, I mean, obviously murder is awful. Uh, that thing, that's the only, you know, thing that I was like, okay, I know, I know a murder mystery. We could do different. And then it gave me 15 things that were different, you know? And then, and then on top of that, this is the last thing I'm going to say, sexuality handled in a way that didn't feel like gross. Like I right. loved... This like, these are empowered women that were like, you know, just kind of these alphas in a situation. They, they get what they get. Like, all right, see you later, sucker. I don't know why I use sucker, but it just felt very like, god this is cool. You know, it's like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Overall, 80 stars. <laughs> 80 stars. Wow. I don't know if that's why, yeah,
0: wow. I love I loved it. So, Steve, Damn,
2: eighty stars.
0: Eighty stars, man. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to talk about the show like when you can only really get into the first episode. But it's it's we have to we have to really like do diligence to that because I feel like the show is really great at kind of leading into the next episode uh, yeah. in general, and just like the other seasons has had been as well. But to speak specifically about the pilot. You know, or the the premiere episode of this fourth season, which, again, is coming out this Sunday. Like, I, I think it does a great job at just setting up the main characters of the season, you know, really kind of introducing, you know, the the relationship between Jodie Foster and uh, Kaylee's character. Uh, what is it? Um, Evangeline. And what's Jodie Foster's character's name? Liz Danvers. Um, Danvers. Yeah you know like with, with their place in in the either the police department or the state troopers or just in the you know the the town you know the relationships that these people have at in this town in general um with industry in the town you know this mining element of of the relationship between that kind of industry and and the and the and the, the local people or the the native the indigenous people to this area that you know are complaining and 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 um petitioning and and uh, picketing and, you know, protesting about it, all this damage that's being done to the natural resources. It just does a really good job of like layering on yeah. like the conflict, you know, the human conflict, the natural conflict, the spiritual conflict. There's all these things that are happening. And, you know, when we meet the two leads and you you see their personal conflict, you know, and that, that tension that is going to drive the season of, you know, can they work together to figure this out? You know, they both bring certain elements of expertise and just a natural uh inclination into like reading people and reading literally a scene of the crime um and then you know you then you start to meet the the other people on the police force and you yeah. know the younger cop who's like her kind of protege and or you know kind of underling yeah. but like i i just really liked how in, at least in that first episode my takeaway from it was beyond even trying to figure out the mystery of what the show opens with and, and the mystery of what happened at this research facility. The, the the dramatic element of the town and the relationships of these people that we're going to spend six episodes with, I think are just set up so quickly and so well that like, as it goes through the rest of the season, like you're almost as interested in finding more about these people and their history as you are in, um, you know, hopefully solving the mystery at the heart of the show, which I think is amazing to accomplish that in one episode, and I think they do it incredibly yeah. well. Um, yeah, I guess and, you know, uh,
2: I I never really said what I think of this show, so I guess I'll I'll be bringing up the caboose a little bit on this one. I I don't think it worked for me as well as it did for you guys. I mean, I think uh, that overall, uh, I was I was a little bit like. Um I think that the things that you guys are talking about that worked some of that stuff really worked for me but I think you what you're talking about with the first episode Steve is so true about how well it sets these things up I did not really feel like 5 episodes later when I watched I, I'll admit I watched all 6 I did not really feel as as rewarded by by the time spent as I might have thought but in the first episode I think the um the kind of setup it it's like it does all those things it it works as almost like a perfect inversion of the first season you were talking about how different it is from yeah. all the seasons but like it's where the other where that season was hot and sweaty this season is cold and frigid it's dark it's not they're not out in the sunlight the way they were a lot in the first season it's too uh um kind of hard-ass women uh, cops instead of two kind of hard-ass, you know, hard-living men, male cops. The victims are, as you've mentioned, presented in this graphic way, nude, uh, very much like the female victims in the... uh, the first season of True Detective, where you spend a lot of time looking at the nude body of the victim, you know, and I think that doing that with male bodies in this one felt very much like part of that inversion. I thought that was kind of interesting. They even went out of their way to say none of the people that worked at this research facility were women, um, almost so that you'll know that right away that, you know, even though there are female victims uh, that we're talking about in this first episode, there's one story that we kind of are tracking at any rate that is um, important to the show. Um, but anyway, I think all that stuff was really kind of interesting. I think on through the season, you'll see those, those the, the way they're trying to book in the first season and bring you back to that feeling you had in the first season is very palpable in this. I still think maybe... Um, I feel like people are saying similar things about the new season of Fargo. Oh, best season yet. And I'm like, it's a good season of Fargo. I don't think it's the best season of Fargo. Um, and I don't think this tops the first season of True Detective for me. But I do think that it comes closest to suggesting that template you thought they had after the first season is a, right. is a viable template. Viable you know, A yeah, super yeah, viable yeah. template. And I think the one thing that's missing from this show, this season, is one of the things that's like, maybe you could take or leave. I think the third season had the kind of timeline like you see the characters at a young age and at an older age, you see a little bit of then, There's some flashing back in this season, but nothing like that. It's much more set in the current moment of this this period of darkness. Um, yeah. And yes, I will just second what you guys said about the atmosphere and the way that it's shot. Even the opening sequence, you'll you'll find yourself back in uh, true detective territory and remember. Oh yeah, the opening sequence was a cool kind of slinky uh, song with 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 uh, evocative visuals that meant more to you with each episode. As as far as what they they mean to the story. So I'm glad True Detective is back. I think it's cool to see Jodie Foster. Uh, John Hawks is, is kind of fun to see in a different kind of role. Um, I'll tell you whose performance I may have liked best uh, is um, uh, Christopher Eccleston as Ted. Um, he's he just comes off as such a regular guy. Like I think he's a, he's playing a part that in a lot of other shows might have been cast as like a strapping, uh, you know, like leading man type. But he is just an interesting looking guy, and he's got you know again he starts off with a little bit of a role to play, um, and uh, and you know just it's he's it has some good scene partners. Uh, for people like Jodie Foster and people like yeah. um, I, I don't know her work that much, but the actress that plays Evangeline Navarro, Callie, uh Kelly Rice, Rice. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think it's I saw so and uh, yeah, it's it's a success in the sense of all the things you guys are saying. I think for me, if I were to sit down with someone who had watched the whole show, I, I have lots of little things that just kind of bumped me. Um, I yeah. I, um, I think that there is a weird uh, some like. The the acting and the atmospherics are so good that it and I feel I think this is true of the first season too though, um that it can distract you from some stuff that is almost cliche for like a cop story, mm-hmm. um and I think the way this movie brings in horror or the way this series this uh, this season brings in horror too it's like it's both doing the kind of procedural cop mystery genre but it's also doing kind of a horror thing. I think there are moments that felt like they were out of a sort of decent horror movie, um rather than out of you know the the kind of tension they can get out of what you were talking about ronald the grounded aspect it's just dark you're in a place where there's lots of shadows they're going out to these remote locations sometimes they're walking on the ice i mean there's some stuff in this this that's like scary on a primal level and i think that to me works better than the attempts to sort of give us a ghost um or some suggestion of a ghost or something like that here or there but yeah you steve steve you mentioned like things that might make you think of or just like the tradition this is falling in not just true detective but i you know there's the shades of the thing all over this show. Uh, The Shining in a lot of ways. Um, And I thought even uh, if you know David Lynch's work or or Twin Peaks, the way some visuals are used um, and the way certain elements come into it that are almost absurd uh, the way they're depicted. It's not quite comic, but some images are like just weird um yeah and 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 one other thing i just want to throw at you guys just because i do think it's interesting i'm glad they're using digital animals now rather than trying to wrangle real animals but do you feel like sometimes the grandeur like one of the few things you used to get when they tried to film real animals would be like a director trying to capture the grandeur of like a herd of elk moving across a plane or something when it's all digital and they still try to go for the grandeur It doesn't, it's like, it has to be fantastic immaculate effects.
0: And I don't think this show
2: quite has the creature feature budget to pull off the grandeur. So it's almost like you're better (laughs) off not showing it too closely. I don't know. What do you guys think of the, you know, because at this point, it's so that they don't have to deal with animals that might not be treated that well. Digital animals are a great thing for that, you know. But what do you guys think of that? Do you think they're successful with their, with how many nowadays, if you notice, like you, you, you don't get, you don't get a real deer or a real giraffe or a real elephant in a movie most of the time anymore you get you, d- you get a digital version do you think they pull it off Ronald <laughs>
1: no it's, the, it's like the animal it's, the, it's that that hunter animal part of your brain that's like that's not real yeah it's like well, what's going on is this person trying to lure me in with this it's it's strange it's it's I felt like that when I was watching um the Netflix movie the Mahershala Ali and Julia oh yeah 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 the deer and that yeah they just were like moving too weird i was like oh that's very obvious those aren't yeah real but thought that counts man
2: yeah for a good reason right yeah
1: it's the thought that counts
2: as long as we don't get like a digital dog that's just sitting there like that movie (laughs) argyle has a digital cat all over the trailer i'm like is there going to be any shot of a real cat i just want to see a real cat once and then i'm fine with all the digital cats um but anyway, yes, it's back and, and it's, it's got six weeks rolling forward. I feel like this is going to be a show. I don't know if this will capture the spirits of people the way the first season did quite, but there are some kind of elements I could see sort of becoming, you know, water coolery for people about yeah, about this sure. show. Um, Anyway, it's back, True Detective. And you, are they going to keep going? I guess they'll see how this season does.
0: I hope they do. Yeah, I think they got to wait and see. Yeah. I hope they do. Yeah, I, I do as well. Like, I, I like this. I, I like the idea of like, kind of bringing in you know a new kind of showrunner a new kind of voice uh um even if nick is kind of still involved with the production or showrunning as well uh but i just yeah the episodes that i've seen so far in general i feel like the show like i love the vibe of the show yeah um and yeah and it's like just beautifully shot like it looks great you know um but yeah, I feel like if it if it succeeds, it's it's it is kind of one of those, uh, it is one of those like you know series that you know HBO has kind of become known for in the last decade that that does have traction, um, and I think people are you know wanting to do more with like I said like the idea that a Barry Jenkins is becoming involved you right. know, and getting on board and producing this like he's always, he's talked about true detective in in the past like during interviews about not related stuff and like it's like it's interesting to see him kind of get involved with this um anisa and 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 so far like i yeah i have been really enjoying it so i hope it continues um did for the season and you know i think they're also probably saying like what's worked how well it did it work you know like maybe subsequent seasons didn't work as well let's try again right see if we can kind of get back into a lane where it's more similar to what was so successful about that first season but it's its own thing you know yeah. um and is that sustainable so I, I i'm interested to see how it does i was just interested um,
2: how much the um pizzolato wasn't part of the like he had yeah. supposedly had an idea for this season that he was working yeah. on and then he said he would moved away from that and then he was yeah. going away to work on something and then this happened and it was almost like the the i mean again it's hbo's ability to greenlight a new season so he's still involved in some capacity but it's an interesting thing because it had seemed like it was his show uh you know right. whatever if there was a new season it would be him coming to hbo with a with an idea um but i you know i will say this 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 episode this season does does hint at the world that it's part of. And there's like two moments that I caught. I don't know, you know, I wouldn't want to ruin them. There's one in a late episode and one in an early episode that felt like these were nods to to the other show um, or the other season. And I don't think any of them appear in the first episode, so I won't mention them. Uh, cool. <laughs> but like, I think that they keep that going, not quite as extensively as they do on Fargo, but that idea of this is an anthology show, but here's a moment that lets you realize you're, you're supposed to at least have the fun of, of connecting them in a way. Um, or right. like you said, Steve, it's a tonal thing. This is a world, even if it's not a world, it's like, it's
0: a vibe. <clears throat> yeah. So, well, Again, that starts this this weekend on uh, Max and HBO. So you um, can watch along with us. We'll probably talk about it towards the end of the season.
2: Yeah. Again. So anything anybody else has watched that stands out?
0: Let me go to the old letterbox, guys, and see what we got here. <laughs> uh, what did I watch this last week? I did watch. I watched Priscilla. Hmm. How so was it? Um, I liked it. Um, I heard the heard a similar criticism about it. Like before, uh, I feel like maybe on the big picture on the Ringer, or, or maybe somebody on one of the Ringer network shows, they were talking basically like how, you know, it's a well made film, well acted, well written. But like for the, the the story of Priscilla and Elvis, like I, I don't know exactly like what is being added or said that isn't. Uh, it, it hasn't already been like put to yeah. film in another way. I mean, it may be spending more time on a smaller period of, of just this part of their relationship um, and, and it's ending, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're both really great in the movie and it, it's, you know, Sophia Coppola's filmmaking is, you know, is, is very impressive in general for most of the stuff I've watched that I've heard that I've enjoyed. And this is definitely up there. Um, And actually having watched Saltburn recently as well, like, you know, the, the Jacob Alordi double feature here. I think that's kind of why I watched him back to back, like, you know, kind of seeing where this guy is going, uh, in terms of his star power or, or his transition to the big screen from euphoria. It'd be interesting to see like kind of what the next year or so look like for him because, you know, two pretty different roles and, you know, Elvis Presley, a different take on Elvis Presley that in some ways is like better than Austin Butler's from Elvis, you know, but it, it's just very different. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, what else did you guys watch? I'm trying to think. I know I watched a lot. I'm trying to pull up additional lists here. did you did you watch Saltburn? Either of you? Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch it Ronald? Or oh talk mm-hmm. about Saltburn then briefly. What did you guys think of that? Ronald? Um
1: throw it away damn throw the whole fucking movie away <laughs> emerald fennel i i so i didn't like promising young woman i don't like this movie wow i don't like her man she's just I, these not are like I, yeah, I don't know I, I i'm like this is do you not know this about your society do you that that's what i'm like what,
2: what? do that I, mean, I i guess i don't want to spoil saltburn but what is it about society <laughs> that you're saying that about? You just the mean that like the sort of, okay, yeah, the rich people. Yeah, just it. like the yeah. rich,
1: rich shittiness. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> boy, I was like, am I watching two movies? I, I don't get it. I, people are, I, and I, th- this is the thing. I wanted it, I wanted to like it and I like parts of it. No, man.
2: Throw those two movies away. See, I, no, I, I really like both of them. I sort of am of. I'm. I'm. I have two minds about promising young woman. Um. I felt like this Saltburn. I enjoyed aspects of. It. I mean, I don't. I haven't been bowled over by it, but I do think there's something about the boldness of it that kept me interested. And I do like, um, I like seeing our boy Barry, Barry Keegan get a uh, yeah. get a oh, get a showcase. Um. I I I do think it's one of those movies that belabors its. It's twist or like, it's not even really a twist. It's basically just going back and showing you the thing they weren't showing you before when you kind of knew what was going on. So I almost wonder if there might have been a, if there, I don't know, sometimes it's like, just show us what's happening rather than make it a twist. But I, I, I think that's the thing where the movie kind of, a lot of times when you don't really need that moment where it's belaboring the twist it feels yeah. like it's the movie not trusting its audience. And I, I I sort of, I didn't like that too much. But I thought that the cast was good and there were some funny moments. I thought Rosamund Pike had some some funny moments. Um great. Uh, uh, and there is a weird, you know, that, that kind of thread of dark humor that ran through it, I think is what kept me on the hook through what you might be talking about, Ronald, which is a sort of, Trashy, pleased with itself, kind of vibe. Um, have but, you have you seen the talented Mr. Ripple? Yeah. Well, no. I I would. I kept thinking of that movie and thinking to myself, "Oh, I want to watch that movie again." And I do think yeah. that to yeah. me is the superior movie, but I wonder sometimes if it's like, you know what, I don't want to always be that person who's tell Because it seemed like there was a young audience that was latching onto this movie, and it's like, you yes. know what, maybe yes. younger yes. people are not as... And to your point, Ronald, maybe they're not as familiar with the sort no of eat time. the rich kind of template, yeah. and so this movie kind of blows your mind. What really blew my mind, though, was seeing that, like, one of the things that became a viral meme out of this movie, at the end of this movie, Barry Keegan, like, goes around the mansion... Like you know, walks around like showing off the mansion. Of course, he's nude and it's a big Mm. whatever. Um, But there's a lot of rich people posting themselves just running around their mansion with music playing, and they it's like they don't seem to get that the movie's about how they suck. Instead, (laughs) they think that it's about how nice it is to have a big house, you know. So. That's wild. (laughs) But seeing people unironically post themselves like with that song from the movie playing as they run through their crazy mansion and there's nothing, there's no irony, no humor to it. It's just, oh, what a cool thing to do. Um, Yeah uh uh so yeah maybe ronald maybe people to your point maybe they don't get it you know maybe people do need this movie on a certain level but yeah i think i think that i was i whenever a movie has blown people's minds and people are saying oh my god and then i'm watching and it's not blowing my mind it's hard not to kind of ding the movie for that even though that's not really fair but i you know i was engrossed i i felt like between this and another movie i saw recently poor things um i'm very i'm very much noticing that like these movies are being no, being mentioned on a wide scale, a mainstream kind of uh, receptive um, reception, and they're very uh, frank about like kind of a nasty side to sexuality, or mm. a dirty side to sexuality, or a or a whatever you want to call it, a visceral kind of sexuality. There's some stuff that people do in Saltburn that's like. You might call it kinky. Some people might say it's beyond kinky, but even if, if you have a wide spectrum of kink, maybe you say this movie is just honest right. about sexuality in a weird way. Um, I think Poor Things shares that of like this is kind of shocking and kinda more sexual than you expect a movie that's mainstream in America to be. But I yeah, wonder if yeah, maybe sure. audiences, even though you do hear about how younger people are are not as into sex scenes and, you know, that's not something people seek out in movies as much anymore. I would I do think it's it's encouraging maybe <laughs> whether that's the right word to see that these movies are able to, yeah, you know, yeah. exist on a sort of mainstream level and, and present sexuality in, in, in a non childish squeamish way, you know, yeah, maybe a different sure. kind of squeamish, but you know what I'm saying?
0: <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Would you, you said you liked this Steve So, uh, burn, Yeah, I did like that. I did like it. I, d- I didn't like love it, but I, I also really like promising Young woman though. I just kind of like her writing and I don't know. I always feel like her casting is really great too. So I guess is always incredible. Cast, the, yeah. The cast was great. Even, even yeah. Carrie Mulligan having like a small little bit in this, she was just yeah. great in it. She and, was.
2: and there's a funny line about her character that might be, <laughs> should do yeah. anything for attention. Attention. Yeah. I love that line. <laughs> she died. What?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah she was... oh, no, I, I really like the more it sat with me and I talked about it and like Aaron actually watched that one with me. Um, you know the comparisons of things like you said like ripley or even like cruel yeah. intentions role of attraction like things like that that come to mind i mean they're they're accurate for sure but i just kind of felt like it, it it's a little it feels a little different to me um yeah. but yeah i enjoyed that um I'm trying to think of what else um
2: uh dream scenario did i see that you said oh yeah i song? did
0: watch it i did not like that i, I had i had I, I was like into it for like half of the movie and then it lost me.
2: I f- may have felt a similar way. I don't know that I would say it lost me, <laughs> but I felt like, it, the, like the first half I was like laughing and and thinking yes, it was like, yes. it was great to see Nicolas Cage get to be so funny. And then I felt like as it kind of played out its concept more and more, I don't think it lost, lost me in terms of thinking it was an interesting movie, but I, it became like, I have this category. I put things in where it's like, unenjoyable goodness i i thought it was interesting but not an enjoyable thing to watch after after a right. while but i do think nicholas cage is great in it and particularly in the first half that you're talking about it's it's got so many weird yes. weirdly funny moments and he's doing so many weirdly funny things that you kind of wish the movie had not been going for something so bleak and existential or at least that was my feeling was i i kind of wanted to see it play out a little bit more like a like a being John Malkovich kind of yes. scenario
0: that's exactly what I was feeling for the first half of the movie like mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more um but yeah so it was interesting to see uh, how that one played out uh I feel like there was another thing that I watched that I wanted to mention oh oh my god maybe just the, maybe I won't even talk about it much because maybe you guys can watch it we can talk about it more next week if you're if you're interested mm-hmm. but Jay Bayonas the society or society of the snow.
2: Oh yeah. Do you, do you know I've, about this? I've not seen it but I've I mean oh. I've got it on my list. I've noticed it. It's on Netflix, right?
0: Oh my god, guys. Yeah, let's, let's hold let, let's okay. hold that. We we should all talk about that. Yeah, it came out on Netflix uh what last week. Um it had a run before the end of the year for like qualifying for stuff. But like yeah, this is like basically our generation probably remembers like alive the movie with oh, Ethan Oh yes. Like the story that that is based on, like this is the same story but told like more accurately to like what actually happened, the I nationalities, the people, the men, like, um, love J. A. B. Biona. No, like, I feel like I've kind of been lukewarm on him in the past. Like, you know, I didn't love his Jurassic world. I thought the impossible was really great. I loved, uh, what did he do? The orphan, no orphanage. Um, did he do that? I no? I don't know. He's done something else that I really enjoyed. Um, more of like a spooky film. Um, but, yeah, I've been really excited for this one for a while, and uh, Netflix kind of have been promoting it a little bit more in the past few weeks around the holidays. But I don't know, it's just on a bunch of like lists, and um, it's gotten amazing reviews, and uh, I'm curious if you know, Traction picks up on. I know it's like the number one movie the last week or so on Netflix, but um, I just love him as a filmmaker, and I think he's like... A
2: Monster Calls.
0: Mods, that's the one thank you John. i knew that Monster was the Cause. one that you were yeah. i i love that movie mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it's just an incredible story it's mind-blowing like what happened um and it's just i mean the 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 filmmaking in it is just ama- i mean this might be maybe a top 10 movie of the year for me oh like, wow yeah so let's talk about it more if you guys could check it out but yeah, just as a placeholder sure. for for listeners it's on netflix now it's called society of the snow uh and I'm sure you can if you have Netflix, it should be sitting there in the top 10 films right now. So let's let's watch that and maybe talk about it next week. Um
1: uh, anything else? I was I was gonna say uh Go for it. DC animated film, Justice League, Crisis of Infinite Earths, uh part one. There's supposed to be three of these. They're coming out, physical and digital. Um it's a three-part kind of version of part of the storyline from the flash movie except when it's animated you can do whatever you want you know which is really cool to watch time travel and things done really well um but it's fun man i i think the dc doesn't miss very often when it comes to if there were so one arena where dc is not missing it's the animated movies they're really fun yeah. um voice acting is always incredible um so it's it's like uh Jensen Eccles, uh Matt Bonner, uh Jimmy Simpson. Voice acting is really good. Um and, and the story is spanning
2: across three movies, and I'll watch all of them. <laughs> so yeah. um well yeah, I mean I'll I'll just throw a few more words uh towards uh poor things just to say um you mentioned that you're curious about that one ronald um it yeah, I, right. I really enjoyed it i mean it it's uh if you've heard about mark ruffalo having a blast you're right if you are wondering is emma stone you know up to her usual quality <laughs> she is um willem defoe is also great in it if you know yorgos Lanthimos' uh work uh from films like the lobster and uh killing of a sacred deer and um uh, what was the uh, uh, the favorite? He always has. Uh, there's always some. Level of like really dark humor, sometimes really awful things happening to people. Sometimes things depicted very frankly that are truly horrific, but still with the sort of comedic air. Um, Poor things does all of that, but in a different sort of way. I, I, you know, I mean, if you've seen the trailer, maybe it's a little hard to tell exactly what's going on. So I wouldn't want to ruin it too much. But basically, we have a person who is a like a like a child in a full grown woman's body. But like a child who's growing up fast and learning about the world really fast, so it's almost like watching like an artificial intelligence kind of you know uh, assimilate the world that they're in. But it's uh, and the the origin behind why that is the way it is and who Bella is the character that Emma Stone plays is what you spend a lot of the movie following. Um, so if you've heard a description that explains what she is, um, I don't know that you still know. The full extent of it. Um, and the movie's interestingly shot and, and the production design is really cool. And like I said, it's got some really some really uh, uh, frank sexual scenes in it. And it's got a lot of, uh, you know, just just really just wild, funny moments that can only come from a movie like this that kind of dips into magic realism. Um, To this extent. So uh, yeah, I I think a lot of people who are curious about this movie are maybe predisposed to find it kind of interesting and enjoyable. But I also think that as we get into award season, this is the kind of movie where the performances really do stand out. Um, Those three leads I mentioned, Um, but everyone's good in it. so yeah, uh, I, I would recommend poor things, but it's kind of like, especially if you're on the fence about it and you're wondering, is it entertaining? Is it weird? It is both of those things. Um, but I, I was really glad I went to see it on the big screen. Um, and right. I'll also I'll say this. We've been talking about the next episode and we keep saying next week, but you recognize what our next episode is. It's episode 400. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you, if you two uh, boys remember <laughs> a while back when I said, um, uh, do you mind if for episode four hundred we do a redo of the uh, Schmoozy Studios movie game? And you said <laughs> you both said, "Yeah, that sounds fun." So I've been getting that ready. So I don't oh. know if when we talk about Ronald's uh, Ronald's uh, choice for required viewing, and if we if we watch the Society of the Snow, I wonder if is that going to be like will we do like a 0. 0.5 and then we'll do four hundred, and it will just be the the, the Studios movie game, or will we try to pack all of that into one? epi that would I guess. be the longest episode ever. i know be also i kind of think the movie game is, exists nicely as its own little yeah. episode so maybe we'll maybe we'll do a quick round of those other things or maybe we'll put them off a week you'll find out in a week um <laughs> but but yes i would say go back we actually very recently did the replay of that the the movie studios movie game the first one um so yeah, go back and listen to that, and make sure you've you've covered those bases because the continuity is gonna be it's gonna be crazier than the MCU, Ronald. You're gonna people are gonna have to uh, take notes. Okay. No, not really. Uh, but but uh, I, I I have got a couple things fun uh, planned for that. So yes, come celebrate our 400th episode with us and marvel that we've done this because we like that when we turn over a new uh, a new hundred, right? I mean that's a pretty exciting yeah. pretty it's exciting a big thing. accomplishment. Yes,
0: sounds great. Well, then I think that's it for this episode then, right? Anything else you guys want to add? What if there's two seconds of silence? It's a good sign to get out. (laughs) Um, We got moviesmovie.com is the main website. You can go there to see uh, all the episodes that we've ever put out. Um, And also kind of jump over to a podcast platform if you want to subscribe and listen to us on our weekly podcast. I mentioned it at the top of the show. Moviesmovie is also on YouTube. So youtube.com slash podcast if you'd like to do the video option. Uh, You can go there and subscribe, hit the bell so you get notified when new episodes hit the YouTube channel. Um, And then I think you'd be covered on every possible front. Um, I'm checking my notes. Yep, that's it. Those two, that's (laughs) it. That's all you got to worry about, guys. Um, But yeah, like John said, stand by. We'll figure out what's happening next week if we do a little 0.5 or just go all out on 400. Uh, We will decide between now and then, hopefully, and then we'll be back in a week. Um, But yeah, as always, you've made our day. Thanks.